Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Singapore, Holly Holm versus Betch Cohea, but luckily there's some other fights on the card, too, <laughs> that we're going to get down to breaking down. And Shaq, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. Uh, last weekend was a good win. Uh, ben 10, like we predicted. Um, you know, Kelly didn't come out with the win, but it is what it is, you know. Brunson handled his business. He finished him in the first round, but we're moving on to this card, and uh, let's go. You know, I'll never make excuses for a bad pick. I mean, Kelly was just the wrong pick. But we did say that if he loses, it will be my first-round knockout. And first-round knockout it was. I mean, Derek Brunson's an animal, so much respect to him. But Ben 10, I mean, look, I thought he was going to win the fight, but I didn't think he was going to go out there and tap Tim Elliott out in the first minute. That was unbelievable. I mean, we were sitting here when the fight uh, went down, and um, when, he, when he got that takedown, we were screaming, like, get out, get out, get out. And, I mean... He proved us wrong. We didn't want him to grapple, and he beat him in that. And, you know, we knew he was going to bust Tim up on the feet. You know, Tim's a little sloppy. But um, the way he finished him, I was not expecting that. And, you know, Ben 10, man, I'm looking forward to his next fight. I want him to fight Joe B, and uh, it'll be another underdog win. And another guy that looked really good was Alexander Volkanovsky. And, you know, Duho Choi actually just pulled out of the Andre Feely fight. So I was thinking, what if uh, Volkanovsky steps up and takes the fight with Feely? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally down for that. That's a good matchup. You got a real tall featherweight in Andre Feely, you know, coming off the biggest win of his life against Hakan Diaz. And then Volkanovski, you know, he's five foot five. He could arguably fight at bantamweight, but him stepping up, you know, Feely's a step up in competition. Yeah, man. Feely's no slouch. I mean, to beat Hakan the way he did, man, um, I think he's making improvements. And to be honest, I was looking at him as a dog play against uh, Duho. Yeah, man, I wish that fight was happening, but you know you know that Mick and Sean are going to be on top of that. There's going to be an exciting replacement because when Korean Zombie pulled out of the Llamas fight, I was like, there's no one that could replace the Korean Zombie. And then there, there was someone, <laughs> and that someone is Jason the Kid Knight, you know what I mean? So I, I have faith that they'll find a very suitable replacement. But, dude, let's get right down to business because we got Justin Scoggins. He's minus 525. The comeback on Olka Sasaki is plus 415. And what I'm thinking here, Shaq, is that, you know, Scoggins looks amazing in all of his fights, even his losses. It's just that when he loses a fight, you know, I don't want to say if it's a lack of concentration or, you know, something in his fight IQ, but it's been the same way every time. He'll whoop someone's ass and then he'll dive into a guillotine choke. So here with Sasaki, who is a tall flyweight, you know, who I thought, man, it's going to be interesting seeing this guy make the cut to flyweight. But then he went out there against Willie Gates. He looked good. And he put up a very valiant effort against the former number one contender, Wilson Hayes. Even took his back in the third round. So, you know, it's a matter of is Scoggins going to whoop his ass and win the fight? Or is Scoggins going to whoop his ass and run into a guillotine choke? You know what, man? I'm going to go with Scoggins. And if he wins this fight, he's going to look unbelievable. I mean, the dude... He fights like Conor McGregor without the touch of death in his left hand. Yeah, that, that's basically it. You know, his wrestling also. The dude can wrestle too, man. It's not just a karate guy. The dude can wrestle his ass off as you saw in that Ray Borg fight. You know, when I was watching that fight, I was like, man, this kid's a future world champion. But he's just got to get the mental side of things down. And hopefully he did that. But remember when we were supposed to see Ian McCall versus Scoggins in Atlanta. And Scoggins pulled out the week of the fight, said he was done with, with flyweight. I mean... Is he going to make weight? If he does make weight, I mean, he should go out there and school Sasaki, but big question marks for me to lay down minus 525 here. I mean, yeah, when uh, when he pulled out of that McCall fight, I mean, me and you, we saw him in the hotel, and I mean, he looked like a broken man, you know. He just looked like he was completely done and he was completely out of the zone. But, man, my thoughts on uh, Scoggins, man, I feel like he's so good, man, just on the feet, even the wrestling. Like, I know he does have that little... Uh, guillotine issue but um man when he's playable when the lines on him are playable man I almost feel like inclined to play it because I feel like this dude has so much potential and he's so good with his karate and um I mean we saw what he did to Borg I mean he schooled him in every aspect beat him in every aspect and I think the same thing is going to happen here I think Sasaki will put up a, a tough fight Sasaki a very long uh flyweight he also has tough cuts down to get there I mean when he cuts down he looks sick you know just like how Scoggins is going to look you know, but um, I just see Scoggins being better in every aspect of the game. The only way I see him losing is, like you said, a mental lapse, being lackadaisical, and him falling into not a not a slugfest, but just shooting an unnecessary takedown when he's styling on him, you know, with the side kicks and the 
all the little fancy hook kicks and shit like that. And um, that's the only way I see him losing. But, um, you know, I think Skykins is going to – I'm going to say he's going to finish. I think he's going to finish Sasaki, second round. Yeah, you know, I hope he goes out there and puts on a good performance, man, because, I mean, the we, kid has so much potential. We need him in the flyweight picture, man. Imagine Justin Scoggins with his mind right against dudes like Brandon Moreno, Sergio, Ray Borg. Even DJ, yeah, DJ, if he's got I his mean, shit together. Exactly. Once he gets Ben 10, when he gets his shit together, man, this dude is arguably the number one contender at flyweight. Yeah, so let's see what he's got. But, man, well, like I said earlier, when Sasaki made the choice to drop the flyweight, you know, because I kind of question his toughness at bantamweight, but he goes out there and he fought very tough with Wilson Hayes. He survived spots that earlier in his career he might have not, you know, he might have given up. But then I remembered he's just a kid. He yeah, came into the UFC yeah. super young and he got fed to the wolves, you know? Yeah. Um, Sasaki's, man, he's a tough dude, man. I think he's improving a lot. You know, I would like him to see him come to the States and train, you know, get, uh, get that U.S. training. But, you know, he hasn't done that yet, but... Um, I still think even if he loses this fight, he still has a lot of potential. Definitely. Now, next up, we got Alex Caceres. He's minus 300. The comeback on Rolando Die is plus 250. What are you thinking, man? You taking the longtime UFC veteran Alex Caceres, Bruce Leroy, or do you think this newcomer has got something up his sleeve? You know, just like how we were talking about Scoggins earlier, I mean, you could say kind of the same thing for Caceres, not in terms of skill level, but just in the terms of mental lapses. You know, he likes to smile in there, play around. And, you know, let me get one, let's get one thing clear. You know, when he did fight Yair, a lot of people think, oh, Caceres uh, won the fight or it was really close. Look, he fought tough, but he lost four rounds. I mean, he, he lost, you know. He put up a tough fight, but he lost four rounds. I think Caceres' best days are behind him. He go After that fight, which I'm sure he put his all into, then he comes in at Jason Knight, and, you know, Looks good early, and then, you know, Jason Knight did his thing, which he's known for. And, you know, after that, I'm not questioning his mental state now, but, man, I just feel like uh, Caceres is, um, you know, he's a 500 fighter. And this kid died, you know, he's got good Muay Thai. You know, he's been fighting jobbers, and he's lost to some jobbers as well. But I feel like uh, Caceres is not due, not, not necessarily due to drop the ball, but he, he's prone to drop the ball. And not saying that this him losing this fight is dropping the ball, but um, I feel like he might fight down a die's level, uh, do a lot of unnecessary, flashy shit that he shouldn't be doing, and catching himself in bad positions. And um, I'm gonna take die, man. I'm I'm a roll with the plus two fifty dog. I'm not gonna bet on it, of course, just because the kid's eight and four and he's been he's lost to some questionable dudes. But um, I'll take die. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, man, because you know Bruce Leroy is known for dropping the ball, but I think this is one of those fights where he can go out there, show his UFC experience, and maybe he can actually show off that flashy shit that has got him in trouble in the past, but maybe here he can find a way to make it work. But look, this kid die. I mean, he, he did have those early setbacks, but even a guy like Ben 10 had, you know, five knockout losses on his record before he made it to the UFC. So in my opinion, it's good to get those losses out of the way. Then you come to the UFC, you're already mature. You know what it's like to bounce back because you guys know, you know, these prospects that come in undefeated, you know, and then they take that first L. Some of them don't ever recover. Like you remember Nicholas Dalby? Yeah. <laughs> Came into the UFC undefeated, you know, looked look good against Zaleski. Then he had that fight with Darren Till where, you know, he fought tough in the third round, made it to a draw, but after that he was never the same ever again. And it was just like, it, it's to watch. It, it's crazy because the dude was a champion in Cage Warriors. And, you know, much respect to Nick Dalby, but it's just the fight game. You know what I'm saying? So with Caceres, it could be that time for him. You know, it might be, that might be all she wrote, but I do think he has enough to get this victory over the newcomer. So I'm going to take Alex Caceres as the winner at minus 300. <laughs> now next up, we got Walt Harris. He's minus 325. The comeback on Cyril Asker is plus 265. Now, I see a lot of people confident in Walt Harris. Now look, Walt Harris is one of these guys that he's got the potential. He's got the athleticism. He's got the knockout power. And when he puts it together, he's absolutely devastating, as you saw in his last fight against Chase Sherman. Even his fight against Cody East. When this kid puts it together, look out. But as a betting man, you know, the dude does have the tendency to drop the ball. He drops the ball a lot, Shaq. He's 2-5 and five in the UFC, okay? He, you know what I'm saying, man? And he's underperformed a lot. Now, Cyril Asker, 
You know, he's what we uh, refer to as a jobber. His UFC debut, he goes out there, he gets knocked out by Jared Cannonier early in the fight, but he comes, he comes out there his second fight against a Russian. He goes out there and stops the Russian in the first round, and I was surprised because. You know, you know, I usually got the Russians over the Frenchmen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but then I found out that this guy Smolyakov actually lost a Ruan Potts. So that that kind of explained the half of it. <laughs> but in this spot, it's about is Walt going to do what Walt's supposed to do here, or, or is Walt going to underperform, which he's done in the past? And basically, you're rolling the dice and picking either or. I'm going to roll the dice and say that he does perform to his potential. He goes out there and he knocks out Cyril Asker. So. I'm going to go with Walt Harris, but, you know, if you're betting on it, I understand why you'd be confident because you think that it's a mismatch. He's going to go out there and smoke this guy. But, you know, I've thought that about a couple other of his fights as well. You know what I'm saying, man? So he's dropped the ball before. But, you know, someone that we're going to bet on later on the card has also dropped the ball before. But it's a different matchup. We'll get into that in a second. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Walt Harris here. I think he uh, knocks out the Frenchman, Cyril Asker. Yeah, you know, in terms of a betting standpoint, at minus 325, I am not confident in Walt Harris. But at minus 170, minus 180, okay, I could see it, you know, for a straight play just because um, I do think Walt Harris is the better fighter. Um, He's got that hard straight left, all those nice left side shots. And, I mean, he trains at a good camp. You know, he has has shown me in the past that he will find his way out, though. I mean, we can't forget about the Nikita fight where he took a knee and, you know, covered up and – um, so a Pulele fight. I mean, Shabil. you know, I mean, yeah. So we know this dude. If he gets cracked real hard, he might he might look for an exit. But um, I think he'll do his thing against Asker. I think it will get hairy at times. So at minus three twenty five, you know, I'd be very cautious playing that. But uh, at some of the lines, I, I saw some people get him at like minus one seventy, minus one eighty. I definitely understand it, cause um, you know, I think Asker. I feel like he's tough, but I, I, don't, I don't see his UFC career, you know, lasting too long. No no offense to him, but, um, you know, I'm going to take Walt in the spot. But um, in the f- in, for future references, I'll be looking to fade him. <laughs> you know, I feel like if Asker wants to win this fight, he's got to find a way to drag Walt to the mat. The question is, can he do that? The way Walt's been looking, you know, his last couple, I know he did drop the ball against Shamil, which he is known for. But, you know, against Chase Sherman that last time, even though Chase Sherman doesn't move his head off the center line, he's a punching bag, he's very exciting, but he does get hit a lot. Walt had a a video game-like finishing combo, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he stuffs these takedowns, keeps it standing, and knocks this guy out. I'm curious to see. Now, next up, is it max bet season, (laughs) Shaquille? It definitely is a max bet season. (laughs) I think it's max bet season, Shaq, because we got John Tuck, He's minus 300. The comeback on Takanori Gomi is plus 250. Now, I wanted the minus 250 on John Tuck, but, you know, I had to pay a little five-cent tax on that minus 255, you know, so I put 5.1 units, you know, so I could get a two-unit return. And I'm max betting John Tuck here, man. Look, Takanori Gomi's last three fights. So he goes out there in 2014, the first clean strike that lands, he goes to the ground, he covers up, he lets the ref intervene. Under three minutes of the fight. That was against Jury. Jury. Then he comes out. He comes back in 2015. You know, he learned from his loss. You know, he's in better shape. You know, he's fighting Joe Lozon on Fox. And the fight doesn't go past the three-minute mark. So, you know, okay. Let's put let's put Takenori Gomi on UFC 200. You know what I'm saying? Let's put him in the opening bout against, you know, Jim Miller coming off Lyme disease. You know, it's not the best Jim Miller we've ever seen. The fight doesn't go past the three-minute mark. The second that the fight hits the mat with Takanori Gomi, soon after, he will quit. I think that's what's going to happen here, man. I mean, obviously, Tuck could go out there and crack him and put him down like that. But I think Tuck, I think Tuck is going to go out there, take him down, and just pound him out. You know the deal with Gomi. He doesn't fight back on the ground anymore, man. I mean, he'll fight the hands for two seconds, you know, just so it doesn't look like a complete quit job. But then once you hit him once or twice, then it's a complete quit job, man. And he... uh he straight up folds, and I think that John Tuck is going to not just finish Takanori Gomi, I think he's going to finish him under three minutes of the first round, and it's going to be like, you know, because I know Tuck is known for underperforming, but it is against some very tough young guys. Like, for example, you watch that fight with Damian Brown, and he did what he's going to do to Gomi. The only difference is that Damian Brown is a very tough guy. Damian Brown is willing to take that ass whooping up front, and as long as he's conscious, he's going to try to win that fight. 
that's the fundamental difference here. You know, Gomi's a complete shell of himself, man. So, you know, watch that Damian Brown fight. He drops Damian Brown in the first round. He takes him down and pounds him. He shows off his Abu Dhabi-level jiu-jitsu that he was actually hyped for when he first came into the UFC, the way he takes his back. And this is going to be like his win against Taiyun Bong, where it was like, wow, now we're seeing the potential of John Tuck. Now we see that when he's on his game, he is this explosive guy. It's just that he is known for dropping the ball, but he's not going to drop the ball in this fight. He's going to get the performance of his life in this fight and then next fight you know we can talk about fading him again but in this specific spot this is max bet territory it's max bet season john tuck is about to go out there and smash gomi i put 5.1 units on john tuck straight and then Shaq. i don't often play totals but when <laughs> i do it's situations like this and the under one and a half was at plus 125 so i put two units on that as well and you know i, I don't often play totals like i said man but you know when you get an occasion like Alan Juban versus Brendan O'Reilly at plus money or John Tuck versus Gomi at plus money, I, I just had to take that shot and put two units on it to win 2.5. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Who you got here? You know, obviously I'm going to go with Tuck, man. You know, it's funny uh, that you said about the Jim Miller fight because uh, I think uh, Gomi at one point was like plus 250 and I was seriously considering it because, you know, at the time Jim had lost to Diego and – we know Diego at the time probably lost like his last seven fights and you know Gomi went out there, got taken down and quit, you know what I'm saying? Um the same thing should happen here. Look, nine times out of ten I would never bet on John Tuck. You know, I feel like he's got all the potential in the world. He trains with the right people, he trains with Benil Darius, he trains with uh Nick Curson, you know, he's he's got all the the right people around him, but something happens when he gets in that octagon and he just freezes up. I mean, he'll he'll come out strong in that first round, and then, you know, most of the time he'll just stand there the next two and just get hit. But um, I don't see that being the case here, man. Gomi, in my opinion, shouldn't be fighting. I mean, I mean, since he came over to the state, the only thing I could see, you know, him being in a better spot is the, that the fight's in Asia. He doesn't have to make that long flight over. But, I mean, we've seen him lose in Asia anyways. Um Tuck should just go in here, play it safe, take him down, take his back, choke him out, or just pound him out. But, um, you know, in terms of the prop thing, you know, me personally, you know, I am, I'm completely done with the props. You know, I had to learn the hard way. You know, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, Gomi shouldn't be fighting, you know. And, um, you know, but the pick here is clearly Tuck. Um, better on the feet, better on the ground. Abu Dhabi world champion. Um... I just see him smoking them, and uh, I don't think it'll be a tough fight. And um, then we can go back to uh, putting John Tuck on our fade list. <laughs> exactly. And next up, we got Rafael Dos Anjos. He's making the move to welterweight. He's taking on Tarek Safadine. Rafael is minus 270. The comeback on Tarek is plus 230. Now, I remember when you were saying that Rafael was the best lightweight of all time. It's crazy how quickly the fight game will change you and change things. I mean... Every day, every month, every year, it's a completely different landscape. Yeah, man. I mean, let me, I mean, Rafael Dos Anjos at one point in time, you know, was the greatest lightweight of all time. I mean, his run when he, when he uh, beat Benson Henderson, when he uh, beat Nate Diaz, then he beat uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis, you know, which I predicted when he was like plus 400. And, you know, Pettis was the golden boy at the which time. Which I did not predict. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pettis was the golden boy at the time. And, you know, you know, I just felt like Rafael was the better fighter in every aspect, and he was just riding such a nice momentum streak that, and I felt like mentally he was there and that he wanted it. But the fight game is the fight game. And, you know, remember when uh, Connor and RDA were supposed to fight, when they were scheduled to fight, you know, and he pulled out of that fight. It feels like everything's just gone downhill from there, you know. He had that broken foot issue. And, you know, I feel like that broken foot, you know, that he might not, you know, say it affected him but I feel like it has affected him man because that kid that left kick isn't the same anymore you know it is still it's still hard you know it's still that King's MMA even though he doesn't train at King's anymore it's still that King's MMA kick but I just feel like dudes can take it now and and let's get one thing straight Rafael isn't even a big lightweight he's not I mean you can we can think of plenty of dudes at lightweight that are bigger than him and he's moving up to 70 now his opponent Tarek my thing on Tarek is I feel like he's an amazing point fighter, but I feel like his toughness isn't there. I feel like if you hit him real hard, he'll 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 look to to survive instead of win, you know, try to win on points, which is not 
which I don't know. I like point fighters, but the thing is, in his way, I feel like he'll just like, for example, when he fought Story, you know, he gets he gets cracked with a couple big shots or gets lateral dropped, and you know, I don't give a fuck about the little bruise on his knee. Like, you know, most fighters don't even complain about that shit. You know, he just he tried to survive and he tried to look cute. But in this spot, man, I'm gonna take Tarek, man. You know, I feel like Rafael. The fight game is the fight game, and when you're done, you're done, man. You know, Rafael is one of my favorite fighters of all time, but I just feel like I know when he's done. And, um, you know, moving up 15 pounds in a class where I feel like he's way too small, I feel like that he'll – not saying that he's going to find a way to lose, but I think his best days are behind him. And I feel like um, his uh, ability to take punishment is not the same anymore, like the Alvarez fight. But you remember back in the day when this dude was taking flush head kicks by Anthony Pettis on the chin and, you know, just moving forward like it was pre knee box. <laughs> <laughs> just – you know, moving forward, and it's a different time, man. The fight game is the fight game. Like, last week, how he said, you know, one minute you're hot, and the next minute you're not. Like, t for example, Holly Holm, you know. And, you know, I'm going to take Tarek, but I'm not going to bet on it because, you know, I'm not confident in Tarek's toughness. But, you know, I felt like Tarek looked good in his last fight against Dong, you know. I did think he lost. You know, most media outlets say, you know, Tarek won the fight, but I actually thought Kim won the fight. Um, but that's because Tarek was shying away from punishment and, you know, moving back. And, um... But I think he'll I think he'll find a way to win this, man. I think RDA is not going to respond well to the punishment, and I think Tarek's going to edge out a split decision. You think he's going to, you know, kick his legs, kick, run, clinch, not kick run. his legs, but I think he'll land like a flush head kick, maybe once or twice. You know, pop him with some jabs. You know, we saw Tony land a lot of jabs, uh, straight punches on RDA, and RDA. He ate him, but man, he just didn't respond the same way that he used to. You know, when he used to get hit by little shit like that, he blast you with the left kick like it was nothing you know and um he's just not the same guy anymore but man Rafael will always be one of my favorite fighters that you know me predicting his title run way back uh I think I predicted him being the champion when he beat Mark but Mark Bocek at like UFC 154 you know and um but you know the fight game's a fight game and these things don't last forever it's true man I mean you know this is actually a tough one for me to pick because I feel like if Tarek's on his game, he can go out there, run circles around him, outpoint him, win an easy decision. But the thing here is that Rafael does bring that pressure style, which often gives Tarek fits. And, you know, he is a southpaw. You know, even though he's not training with Master Cordero, which is a huge red flag. Because, I mean, yeah. Ma Master Cordero, Master Rafael. He, ma he made Rafael. He took him to that title. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, 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 don't, you don't betray the people that brought you up. Even though the, the split was a mutual thing, you know. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. But we know most likely something happened. But um, maybe the training at Kings was taking a toll on Rafael, man. Who knows? Oh, yeah. That's a great point. Because, I mean... We, we know the deal when you train at Kings of MMA. Certain people thrive there, but no matter who you are, I mean, those sparring sessions add up. When you talk about Friday night Friday, <laughs> Friday night sparring at Kings MMA, like, you know, there's, there's like, stories about that. There's myths about their sparring sessions, I man. Mean, you know, people get fucked up. You saw what happened to Jake Ellenberger. He was never the same. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I mean, go on YouTube. I don't know if the video's still up, but, I mean, uh, when Rafael was getting ready for the second Cowboy fight, the way they're sparring in there, bro, it's vicious. Like, they're, they're fighting in there, you know? And speaking of their sparring videos, there's one with Master Rafael going to every single student and dropping every <laughs> single one of them. He goes up to Benny, he drops him. Then he goes up to Werdub, you know, the, the heavyweight Plays champion at the them. time. <laughs> he drops him with a knee to the body. Like Then he goes to like the bantamweight, drops him. You know what I'm saying? So Master Cordero doesn't fuck around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with that being said, man, you know, this... This style often does give Tarek Safadine problems, you know, the pressure style. And, you know, but then again, in that Eddie Alvarez fight, I was like, man, wh where's that fucking body kick that you're known for? You know what I'm saying? He stopped doing that. And I think it's that foot, man. I feel like him moving up to 170, even though, you know, everyone's body's different. Maybe he really was having tough weight cuts, but he's he's not a welterweight, man. He's, he's too up, small, yeah. you know, because guys like, you know, Dustin Poirier moving up to 55, that makes sense. You know, because his frame is perfect for yeah. uh, 55. And, you know, a guy like Whitaker, he looks great at 85. Kelvin, even though he's kind of short, he looks great yeah. at 85 too. But RDA, it just strikes me as in this uh, day and age. Way easy way out. I, you know, because, like, I don't want to talk shit about Rafael because he's an incredible former champion and he's an awesome fighter. He's been in the UFC forever, man. But, you know, he leaves the coach that brought him to the title. He's moving up a weight class. And, you know, it just kind of seems to me like he's not taking it as seriously as he's he used to. Now, if Tarek was this hungry young guy, like Mike Perry or something, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would be 
all over it here for a play, but since the thing that's kind of pissed me off about Tarek in the past is that, you know, he's got so much potential, so much talent, so much technique, but he's not a killer, man. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, and, and I love point fighters, man. You guys know I love Jocko, but with Jocko, when it's time to turn up, he turns up. Tarek doesn't have that second gear. Tarek can't turn up. That's the thing. And, like, you know, he's the striker. He's got one knockout on his record of, like, you know, whatever, 15, 20 fights, yeah, 15 yeah. fights, whatever it is. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So he just he doesn't finish fights, man. Now, that being said, he could go out there and outpoint RDA. But you know what, man? I'm going to say that RDA's pressure style actually wins him the split decision. I think it's going to be a sweaty fight. If you got money on this, I think you're going to be sweating the fuck out of this. And you're probably more comfortable picking Tarek just because he is a plus, you know, to 30 dog in a fight that I think is going to be close. I could be wrong. You know, someone could be dominant here, but I think it's going to be one of those grimy, very close split decisions. And uh, I'm going to go with the former champion. You know, he trains at Evolve in Singapore. Maybe he knows one of the one of the judges. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with RDA for the split here. Now, next up, I said on Twitter that this is the fight I'm most interested in, and we got Colby Cummington. Holy shit, Shaq. He's minus 320. Okay, he's not minus 190. He's minus 320. The comeback on Dong Young, Stung Gun Kim is plus 260. And the reason that I'm so intrigued by this fight, man, is because, you know, Colby's been asking for a step up all this time. He's been calling everyone out in the top 15. He's saying that, you know, you see, you see what he said about Robbie Lawler? He said that Robbie Lawler left yeah, ATT because of all the beatings I gave him. <laughs> and that's interesting because, you know, I heard Robbie left because, you know, you, you know how you walk in there and you see the yeah, pictures of all the yeah, fighters? Yeah. So I heard they got a picture of T-Wood in there with the belt. And he's just like, are you kidding me, man? Like, <laughs> he doesn't I, even train. <laughs> he doesn't even train here. I brought the belt back to yeah. ATT. Like, I completely understand where Robbie's coming from. But I was surprised Colby said that. Maybe it's true. Maybe it isn't. But I'll tell you one thing. We're going to find out in this fight. This is the fight that's going to let us know where Colby Covington is. Because only legit guys beat Dong Young Kim. Carlos Condit, Tyron Woodley, Damian Maya. These are the only guys that have been able to beat the Stung Gum. I know in Atlanta at UFC 88, Matt Brown, in my opinion, beat Dong Young Kim. Close decision. <laughs> but the judges disagreed. They gave it to Dong Young Kim. So there's only three men that have beat him. Am I missing one or something? I think that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, dude, I mean, we're going to find out what Colby's all about. So, you know, obviously at this line, it's either dog or pass. At plus 260, it's either dog or pass. At at minus 190, if you have this conviction in Colby and you think that he really is the real deal, then, man, it might be a good play because the way I see this fight matching up, now, I'm assuming that Colby's going to rise to the occasion, right? That his striking looks like he's been working with Masvidal. It looks, you know, a little bit tighter than Kim's striking because Kim is known for going there recklessly and, you know, throwing spinning back fist out of nowhere and flying kicks. And But I'll tell you what, man, he's aggressive, he's relentless, and he tries to win the fight at all costs. And he has won most of his fights at all costs. So it's about, is that going to work against Colby? And, you know, Dong Young Kim does tire later out in fights and, Man, Colby goes out there and sets takedown records on dudes, but the dudes he's been fighting, no disrespect to him, but they're they're not on Dong Young Kim's level. This is a step up. Not saying he can't rise to the occasion. He's a a favorite for a reason. A lot of people think he will rise to the occasion. So now I got to guess. Is he going to rise to the occasion or not? You know what? I'm going to say he does, man. I'm going to say that this is the moment that he's been waiting for. He already had his first defeat. He got that out the way, and now he's poised to make a statement, and if he goes out there and he can capitalize on the mistakes of Dong Young Kim, he can go out there and win this fight as the favorite. But if he's simply too green, Dong Young Kim's gonna, you know, he's gonna he's gonna win this fight with his veteran experience. But I think that Colby's finally at the level where he can beat a guy as good as the stun gun. Yeah, man, you know, I've been high on Colby since he came in. I know about him, you know, through Masvidal, you know, before he even came into the UFC. And, you know, I remember I parlayed him to beat Mike Powell in his, like, seventh pro fight. Uh, I think it was, like, UFC 187. So I've been high on him for a long time. And, you know, this fight, you know, it's wrestling versus judo. You know, we got a D1 Pac-10 champion in Colby, and uh, we got a... I'm sure he's a South Korean uh, judo champion, if we actually look it up, you know. You know, Kim... um, the thing is, man, I actually think Kobe can have some success on the feet, you know. Kim's been coming in real sloppy, like just coming in, throwing big looping punches, trying to throw those little spinning elbows that, he, you know, he caught uh, Hathaway with. And, you know, although Kobe, I don't think he's going to consistently take uh, Kim down, 
he doesn't have to, man. He can just hold him, hold him against that fence, use some dirty boxing, kill the clock, and keep, uh, you know, stay in control of the rounds. But the more he makes it a firefight, the more he makes it and he engages with Kim in these wild, crazy exchanges, that veteran and Kim is going to come out and, you know, Kobe might get taught a lesson. But I don't think that's going to happen here, man. I think, I think you know, Kobe, you know, training with Masvidal, you know, ATT, man, I feel like, you know, George might put something in his head to play this safe, you know. You know, just hold him against that fence. When he tires out, just, you know, make sure you maintain your position. You know, maybe get one or two takedowns, you know, brief, you know, just to kill the clock. And, you know, I think Kobe's going to edge out a 29-28 close decision. I disagree with the line completely, man. I feel like Kobe sh at the most should be minus 150 here. Minus 320, I feel like a lot of people are buying into the hype. So if you're, if you're you know, considering Kim, Consider that everyone's buying into the hype, so you might want to go into the opposite, man. When when the public is on one guy like that, you know, shit generally goes the opposite way. I mean, look, like Kyle Marley said on the show one of these past couple weeks, he said these big Vegas casinos weren't built on everyone exactly. being on the same guy. Exactly. So, I mean, these Vegas casinos know what they're doing, man. They know... They they set the line like that because, you know, they know everyone's buying that Kobe hype. And look, Kobe sets a fucking relentless place. I mean, you know, he pushes you back into that fence. He throws those big overhand lefts. And, you know, you know his striking's getting better, man. But now it's going to get tested at the, the cream of the crop of the division. And, you know, I love the way how Kobe uh, shoots right when your back hits the fence. But can he get that on Dong Young? I mean, Tarek took down Kim, but, you know, Tarek, yeah. he, he's an experienced yeah. vet. But look, Colby's wrestling credentials, they speak for themselves, exactly. and he's been able to make it work for MMA. It's just now it's about rising to the occasion. He does strike me as the kind of guy that can rise to the I mean, occasion. The kid's hungry, man. He wants this. I mean, we follow him on Twitter. He's always talking shit. You know, he wants this real bad. And, you know, I feel like he's trained by the right people, man. I feel like, you know, being best friends with Masvidal, I mean, who better, you know, to school you up on the game? You know, Masvidal's been around forever. Masvidal can't go out there and fight for him, you know. But um, I'm sure, you know, Masvidal and Kim are scheduled to fight, so I know they're familiar with Kim, you know. And um, I just feel like, you know, he's brought up by the right people, and um, I feel like he is going to rise. Co-main event of the evening. You know what season it is? <laughs> max bet. It's, it's max bet season because we got Marcin Tibora. He's minus 250. He, he's still at the good price where you can get it in max bet range. And he's taking on the pit bull, Andre Arlovsky, who's plus 210. And, you know, right after uh, Mark Hunt beat Derek Lewis, we were immediately watching the tape on this fight. And because I saw the line on, on Tibora, and I was like, you know, I, I got these questions. He's this, you know, new, you know, he's this, kind of newer guy, you know, he's had a couple fights in the UFC, and Andre's the vet, even though Andre is on his way out, you know, Andre's fought better guys, this and that, but when I watch the tape, man, I mean, this kid Tibora is serious, man, I mean, he goes out there, first of all, in his UFC debut, I'm glad he got that loss out of the way early, he goes in there with a D1 wrestler and Tim Johnson, and look, he got grinded in his UFC debut, but, but he came back in the third round, won that third round, even though he lost the fight, at least he showed, like, hey, he didn't quit. He didn't quit at all. The fight's still in him. So then his next two fights, he goes out there, head kick, highlight reel knockout in his second fight. And then his third one, I mean, he's getting pushed up against the fence. But you know what? He swims in for the underhooks. I mean, he pushes your head down. And when it's time to, you know, when it's time to throw strikes, it's time to throw strikes, man. You know, he's got that kind of, you know, that Polish striking style. I don't want to say like Joanna or anything like that, but, you know, kind of like Joanna or Kristoff. Or yeah. You know, it's just like the heavyweight version of that, man. You know, very, Front kicks. Dude, very light footwork. Yeah. I mean, the way he's bouncing on his feet, I'm like, man, this guy, you know, he knows how to strike. It's not, you know, because we, I was wrong in, in saying that Derek Lewis was going to beat Mark Hunt. Obviously, I didn't bet that. I just picked that, right? But I, I said that, you know, Mark Hunt's on his way out and Derek Lewis will be able to capitalize, you know, on just the fact that he's fighting a, a faded fighter. And I was like, you know, even though his technique's kind of shitty, you know, he'll find a way to win, right? Well, I was wrong about that. But in this spot with Tibora, it's not even about just the fact that Arlovsky's on his way out and we're fighting a young, hungry guy. It's about the fact that this kid Tibora can actually fight. His technique is nasty. Those front kicks up the middle. Like, he's a heavyweight that throws front kicks to the face. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, his footwork, I really want to emphasize that. He's always bouncing back and forth, sets up his jab. The one thing that, you know, in the past I've kind of been like, you know, he needs to work on that is, you know, kind of 
he'll kind of dip his head forward, kind of like he's in a boxing match. You know, sometimes when you dip your head forward too much, you'll eat a knee. So I'm kind of like, you know, he's probably got to work on that. But he's looked better every single fight. So I'd assume that he's watched the tape. He seems like a smart guy. I'm sure he's working on ways to fix that. But I don't even think that's going to be an issue here, man. We got to talk about how faded Arlovsky is. You know, because with Hunt, even though I do think that Hunt's on his way out, those fights that Hunt's lost, you know, a decision to, to Brock Lesnar, he gets knocked out in the third round by Mark Hunt. You know, with Arlovsky, he's getting knocked out in under a minute. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like the fight's not even happening, man. You know, the Stipe fight. And I understand this is the top-level competition. I'm just saying this is this is what's been happening, man. They're not even fights. So he just goes out there and gets stars. You know, the Francis Ngannou fight. And then Josh Barnett, they finally give him a guy who is, you know, also, you know, fights once every two years and is also on his way out. And, you know, Josh Barnett's known for his grappling. Josh Barnett goes out there and drops Arlovsky in the first 10 seconds of the fight or something like that. And there was one moment when Arlovsky cracked him with a hard right. And <laughs> Josh Barnett turns his back to Arlovsky. He starts, like, running away. I don't think it was an eye poke because usually when they do an eye poke, you know, they have their other hand up and kind of signal to the ref, like, hey, time out or whatever. But... Here, it seemed like he was kind of rocked, and Arlovsky didn't even capitalize on that, man. He, he's so shot, man, you know, and I see people picking Arlovsky because there's a difference in, you know, the level of competition, but I don't think, even think that's going to be a factor here, man. I think this is just one of those spots where, you know, at this point, they're feeding Arlovsky to the up-and-comers. You, you know, they fed him to Nganu. Now they're feeding him to Tibora. They want to, you know, they're like, all right, well, if he's going to stick around... You might as well give him to the up-and-comers, build them up, you know, off his name. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Tibor is going to be too fast for him. And look, we're, we're going to win this on the feet, but let's say that we have trouble on the feet by some stretch of the imagination. Even though I don't foresee that happening, let's just say Arlovsky cracks us with his signature right hand, which he is known for. We can grind this guy, too. We can put him up against the fence, and I guarantee you Arlovsky will be the first one to quit. Arlovsky will be the first one to gas. Arlovsky will be the first one to get knocked out. Arlovsky will be the first one to look for the door. I mean, he's not even training at Greg Jackson's anymore for this fight, man. And you know something? I, I, I'm probably not supposed to talk about this, but word on the street. A little inside source told me that, you know, at Jackson Wink, they, you know, they had the retirement talk with him, and Arlovsky was having none of it. You know, he's very stubborn. So, you know, they, they, they saw enough in his losses. You know, they were like, all right, bro, like, we love you, man. You know, it's time to think about the next step, and... Arlovsky got offended by that. He's training. He's doing the home gym thing now. I just, I got a max bet on, on Marcin Tabora, so I plan on waking up and cashing. Yeah, um, I mean, you pretty much hit everything, man. I mean, speaking about that Barnett fight, I mean, the shot that he got dropped dropped on in that early first round, I mean, was, a, was like a, it wasn't to the back of the ear or on the temple. I mean, it was just a little straight right. I mean, look, it's heavyweight to heavyweight, but... From a guy like Barnett and the way he went down, like his eyes rolled back, and it's just like, <laughs> and then like, okay, then he rocks Barnett, and he uh, Barnett's on his back, and he's you know like in the standing guard and whatnot, and he's literally not doing anything because I feel like he's out on his feet. Like remember, he was just staring. Oh, yeah, he was at stalling. Him. He was just he was literally just staring at him, not kicking his legs. He's not throwing... standing over Barnett yeah. with every opportunity yeah. to and, punch him, and he's like kick his legs, do something like. You know, and he just, I feel like he was out on his feet. I feel like he was, uh, you know, out of it. And, um, you know, Tybura, like you said, the front kicks up the middle. And basically how I see this fight going down, you know, um, you know, I feel like they'll exchange for a little bit. But I feel like once Andre gets cracked with a big shot, he'll get discouraged. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, Greg Jackson, he's not training with Greg anymore. I, f I saw him doing some training at ATT uh, a little bit for this one. And um, I just feel like, man... Look, like 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 last week, for example, you know how I said uh I said, you know, when these heavyweights are all considered done, they generally come back and, you know, like shock everyone, just like how Hunt did uh Derek Lewis, but in this particular case, man, I don't see that happening, man. I just feel like Andre will be out on his feet real quick, man. I feel like he might Tabora might let him last into that second, third round, but eventually he'll get that finish. But um I feel like the first big front kick landed or the first big straight right landed um, you know, Andre will just get discouraged and, you know, slowly check out of this fight. I mean, this is it for Andre, man. I don't see him fighting after this one. And, you know, in terms of, I feel like, you know, uh, Tybura has been taken down in the past, but man, in that, uh, Luis Enrique did fight, I mean, he reversed a couple positions there 
And you know, Andre's not a he's not a threat in that area, so I don't I don't think we have to worry about that. This ain't this ain't the Andre that was leg locking, you know, Tim Silver back in the day. <laughs> this is a completely different Andre. That Sambo is completely out the window. And you know, uh I definitely agree with your max bet uh in this spot. Minus two fifty, I mean, that's perfect range. That's the limit right there. And um I think Tybura's gonna get it done. And that to me is the main event of the evening, but they're giving us one more fight and we got Holly Holm, she's minus 600 on dimes. On on DSI and Bookmaker, she's minus 640, okay? Coming off three losses, 500 fighter in the UFC. She's minus 640, all right, Shaq? And she's taking on Betch Cohea, who's plus 450. And, I mean, what are you thinking, man? Is, is Holly Holm going to lose a fourth straight? You know, I think Holly's going to get this one, man. Like, look, I'm a fan of Betch Cohea. Like, I, lo- I like her personality. I like... I like her whole little dancing thing she does, but like, look, like for example, you know when she was fighting Jessica I, we were we were all over that, you know, just because we Jessica I is a a system play, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's just you fade, fade, it's a it's a system fade. You always fade Jessica I, um, but you know this ain't Jessica I. You know the Murray and Renault's no slouch. Don't get me wrong, but you know Holly. I feel like this is the perfect fight for her to get back on track. Like going on in the future, I don't. I, I could care less, you know, what happens with her, but um, in terms of in terms of a betting standpoint, I'm not I would not take the shot on bets just because she's stiff, she's slow, she walks straight in, um, she doesn't have power in her hands. I mean, you know, knocking out Shayna Baszler doesn't say anything. Um, I just feel like this is tailor made fight for Holly, man. I feel like she's just gonna run around, not really land shit, but just make sounds, you know, grunt like, ha ha, you know, shit like that, <laughs> and make the crowd go ooh ah, uh, you know, um, you know, I I understand, you know, Holly, you know, she's lost three in a row. We saw her lose to Tate, you know, I parlayed her that night, unfortunately, and she was like two minutes away from winning, and you know, fucking gets choked out, and then she goes out there against Valentina, which we bet on, you know, which was a beautiful performance by uh, Valentina, but I'm not on betching this spot, man. I'm not betting on either of them. I wouldn't bet on either of them, Um, but I think Holly will pull it out. Man, I understand why Holly's the favorite, and I think that Holly should win the fight, but she should have won. She should have beat Misha Tate, too, man. I mean, I feel like Holly... She's a habitual uh, ball dropper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? And, you know, she's a one-hit wonder. She did knock out the person that knocked out Betch, okay. But, you know, last week, uh, you know, fucking Louis Smolka beat the guy. I mean, fucking Louis Smolka beat Ben 10. Ben 10 beat Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott beat Louis Smolka. MMA I mean, math does not exist. MMA math don't mean jack shit, man. So, to me, I mean, and also, Betch has only really lost one fight, in my opinion. She lost to uh, Rousey, you know, which, you know, now it's kind of embarrassing, but at the time. I, th- I thought, I-, I bet on her to beat Raquel, and man, and you know, live, I was pissed. I thought we, I, I haven't rewatched it cause, just because I'm so pissed about it, because I think it was like plus 225, but live, I thought we won two rounds. Bro, I mean, she had a very close split with Rocky Pennington. To me, Betch has only lost one fight. Now, I know the way the styles match up on paper, I mean, the point fighting style of Holly Holm should be enough to outpoint, you know, Betch Cohea, who is kind of one, you know, likes to brawl, is kind of stiff, you know, just a Brazilian banger, you know what I'm saying? But Betch has a way of making these fights very close. And Holly has a way of fighting very close and dropping the ball when it matters most. Wow, that fucking rhymed unintentionally, but <laughs> I mean, honestly, bro, because I'm not going to bet this fight, but I do have to make a pick for Top Master. You know, I'm number three in Top Master in case anyone didn't <laughs> know. Uh, but if you think I'm satisfied with number three, you better think again. I'm, I want that number one spot. But also top ten in Gamble Master. Check the record, bud. No, but I'm going to go with Betch and Top Master. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Obviously, they think Holly's going to win. She's minus 640, right? She's the rightful favorite. She should go out there and outpoint Betch. But I think Betch is going to find a way to make it close and, and squeak out a split here. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, with the dog here. No bet, obviously. Now, just a quick recap, you know, my, my bets, my two max bets, John Tuck, Marcin Tibora, and for the first time this year, I believe, I took my first total of the year on that under one and a half in the Tuck fight, so we'll see what happens, but I think it's DraftKings time. Is it time for the Big Marley Minute? I think it's time for the Big Marley Minute. Let's hit up Kyle Marley. The Big Marley Minute. Kyle Marley, how's it going? Hey, not bad, man. How you doing tonight? Doing amazing. You know... 
The fans that have to battle really appreciate you, man. You know, I heard there's a, a power outage over in Indiana, and you're still making time for the fans that have to battle. Always, buddy, always. Anything for you, man. My man. So, dude, before we get into, you know, this week's card, you know, I already got to thank you for giving out world-class advice your first week on Half the Battle, man, because, look, we talked about how Tim Elliott was the most, you know, he scored a DraftKings record last time he fought. So we had the idea that, look, since it went down like that last time, everyone's going to pick him this time. So I asked you, is Ben 10 a good underdog play? For DraftKings this week, you said yes, and then uh, tell us the stats about that one. Yeah, man, that was a good pick. I wish I was as high on him as you were because then I would have made all the money. But I still fell for the Elliott train, so I had some Elliott in my lineups, and it cost me. But that big Ben Ten play was excellent because I think he was around sixteen percent owned or so in tournaments, and Elliott was sixty to seventy percent owned. So a first-round loss like that, that's what we talked about. First-round loss, then you got 60 or 70% of the field that's dead, and you got that 100 points from Ben 10, and you're looking pretty at the top. How'd you do last week? Great, man. You know, I mean, uh, my chalk Volkanovski came through. Ben 10 came through. Dan Kelly did not come through, but as you know, <laughs> I only needed two of the three to win and two of the three won, so it was, it was a good night, my man. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, great play on the Ben 10. Thank you, sir. Let me ask you something, man. Were there any, you know, lessons you took from last week? Maybe a mistake you made that you want to correct going forward? Yeah, man, really. We just talked about it. I, I was, I think I was about, uh, maybe I was 40 to 50% on Elliott, which still was too high. Um, so I ended up turning a real small profit. I thought it was going to be a good night, but then it had a little second update and it wasn't as good as I thought it was. And it's all because I played too much Elliott. If I didn't have as much Elliott and I, I went with that lower percentage and Ben 10, I would have cleaned up, uh, man. So yeah, if I could go back and change it, I would, I would have went with your pick and just faded that high ownership on Elliott, but you live and you learn. Indeed you do. So for this week, man, it's a really interesting card because it's, I'm not exactly sure who's going to be playing DraftKings this week. You know who's betting on this card because it is one of the you know it's the, one of the smaller cards of the year. It's going to be happening at around 4 a.m. for me. You know what I'm saying, Kyle? So, you know, for a beginner at DraftKings, how should they approach playing uh, this week's card, whether it's GPP or cash games? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it depends on how. Good you're feeling about the card is how I look at it. Uh, I'm going to play less cash games because I'm not real confident on this card. And then I'll just try and hit big on a few GPP lineups. But for a beginner, I think you definitely have to – casual games mainly. If you have access to casual games, you should only be playing those because then you don't have the pros in them who are playing maxed out lineups and taking most of the money. So if you have access to casual games, I would only stay in that list. Um, that's the main thing. But if you have already played too many games and you don't have ca casual access, I would stick to the single entries, the three-entry max, those kind of GPPs. Those are good ones to target this week. And uh, as you said, I don't know how many people are going to be watching this you know, live since it's so early. So last week, we got a lot of people got screwed with that Gowdy, with that late cancellation. So you definitely got to pay attention to late news. So even if you're not watching this live, wake up at 4 a.m., Make sure nobody's out because you don't want to get screwed with somebody who's out in your lineup. Man, what is it about these pro lineups that makes the difference, that makes them go out there and clear out half the field? See, the thing is, if I mean, people have big bankrolls, so if they can max out the 60 entries, 75 entries, then you're kind of just bound to hit that right combination as long as you're on the right people. If you know what you're talking about, and you're fading the right guys, then if you have that many entries, you're bound to hit maybe that top prize, and that'll pretty much pay for all your entries. So that's the problem with the pros, because they have pretty much unlimited bankrolls, and they max entry, max enter everything. So that's the problem with going in those big GPPs, where they are fully maxed by the best of the best. Now, Kyle, let me tell you two of the favorites that I like, and then let me tell you a few of the favorites that I have a feeling the public likes, okay? So... I really like John Tuck to not just beat Takanori Gomi, but I like him to stop him in the first round, maybe within three minutes of the first round. And then I also like Marcin Tibora. Now, I'm not sure 
if he's going to stop Arlovsky in the first or if he's going to go out there and put on a three-round clinic. But regardless, I think he's going to win. Do you think that those are uh, some good favorites to put in my lineup? Absolutely. Um, with Tuck, I, I don't know if anyone's looked worse than Gomi lately. So Tuck will definitely be in a lot of my lineups as well. Because I could definitely be a first-round finish the way Gomi has been looking. So I, I like where your head's at there. Uh, Tybura as well, he's a big favorite. Uh, he's getting a lot of attention Twitter-wise, so I'm not sure how heavily owned he would be, but I, I like him as well. But the, the reason I mainly like both those guys is because this is such a top-heavy card, so everyone's going to be on these huge favorites like Jing Liang and Skagen. So if you can go down in that middle range and get the Tuck and the Tybura and those other those other smaller favorites, if they can still win, you're going to be turning out pretty big profits. So I like that strategy quite a bit. Now, Kyle, I'm personally going to be staying away from fights such as Colby Covington versus Dong Young Kim and Rafael Dos Anjos versus Tarek Safadine. But from your perspective, man, you know who should you go with for those fights? Because I feel like the public is going to be all over Colby Covington and Rafael Dos Anjos. And even though you know they're they probably should be favored to win those fights, I mean Tarek and Dong Young Kim at dog money. These guys are no slouches. I couldn't have said it any better myself, man. I uh, I think. A- the people will be on RDA and uh, as well as uh, who's the other one that you said? Uh, Colby Covington versus Dong Young Kim, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, both those guys. Yeah, Colby and RDA, they'll both be heavily on because they are pretty good DraftKings scorers, especially Colby. If you can get a whole bunch of takedowns, that racks up points. I do like both those plays, but I'm, I'm with you, man. Let's fade it. Let's let the public be on those guys because I think the odds are off on both of them. And um, with, with the odds, I like both those underdogs. So I could see me having some of them in my lineup. <clears throat> the thing is, it's really hard to fade a guy like Kobe because if he wins, he's putting up 100 points with all his takedowns, unless he's going out there and testing his striking. But I agree, man. I don't know how these two fights are going to go, so I don't feel too confident in them. I'm thinking I'm going to let the public choose the wrong person, and I'll, I'll fade him. Now, you know, obviously, like we said, we're, we're probably going to be passing from Colby Covington in our lineups this week. But on average, is he usually a guy that scores a lot of points? Oh, yeah, a ton of points. He's one of the best guys you can have in DraftKings. Let's look at his game log. All right, so he's got six wins, one loss. Four of his six wins are over 100 points, and the other one's 99 and a half. So that's that's exactly what you want in a winner. You want somebody who's going to get these takedowns. His last fight, 12 takedowns. Fight before that, six takedowns, 12 advances. That's exactly what you want to look for in a DraftKings player. But the thing is, can he take down... Dong Young Kim that many times. I'm not sure he can, so I don't know if the points will rack up like they usually do. But if you can get a guy who just can't stop the takedown, then Colby should be on every single time against somebody like that. Yeah, and another thing is that even though Colby on average does score a lot of points, everyone's going to be all over him in this spot, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone's really catching on to that whole takedowns wins DraftKings. So people will see all these takedowns and they will be on him. So that could be the big Ben 10 this week. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we should be on Kim. I'm not sure. Um, I don't really have a feel on ownership yet this week, but I do think you're right. I think he'll be one of the most owned players. Now, is there one guy that's flying under the radar? Cause you know, for a lot of these lineups, if we, if we want to get some of those bigger favorites in, we got to put, you know, a very low priced underdog in there to kind of sweeten the deal a little bit. So for this week, I mean, is it a guy like Sasaki? Are we banking on Scoggins to, you know, beat his ass for one and a half rounds, then dive into a guillotine choke? Or do you think it is the guys we were talking about, such as Tarek Safadine and Dong Young Kim? Um, Odds-wise, I'm going to have some Safadine and Kim in my lineups just because I have, I think they have a better chance of winning. But Scoggins does make a lot of dumb moves, and Sasaki would be very low-owned. So if that's the underdog you're on and he wins – and that's going to put you at the top of a GPP. So if you think Sasaki can beat him, I do think he should definitely be in your team. However, I, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. I like Scoggins a lot in that. The only problem is he's the third heaviest favorite on DraftKings, and I don't know how many lineups I'll be able to afford him in. So if you think there's a chance Sasaki wins, go for it for sure. Well, Kyle, is there anything else you want to let the fans know before we talk next week? Uh, now just make sure you guys pay attention to that news. Don't have that Tebow Gowski 
news hits you again and have a guy that's not even playing in your lineups, you always want to take advantage of that. If somebody's scratched, a lot of times people don't know that. So the the money that DraftKings take, which we call the rake, that was free last week because that, that fight was about 15% owned. So you want to take advantage of fighters who are getting these late scratches. You want to be on top of that news. So make sure you're doing that to this card since it's so early. Kyle, is there anyone that's so damn good at DraftKings? Well, this is a kind of a funny question because if they were so damn good, they would have woke up in time to change their lineup. But where I'm going with this, my man, is is there anyone that's so damn good that they had T-Belt Gowdy in their lineup? They got zero points for that, but they still placed with their five other fighters. Dude, I wish I wish you didn't even ask this question. I got killed by a few guys who were pretty good. I, I had a $215 head-to-head and a $109 head-to-head where my opponent had Gowdy in each of them. So I thought, I, before the card, I thought I had it won. I was already <laughs> counting my money. But somehow, man, those other five, they got me. And uh, that made my night so much worse than it could have been. But there are people out there who are good enough to get those five wins. I like to say get four wins and you're good in cash, but sometimes it doesn't do the job, so... I was really mad about that one. I like to think I'm better than having people beat me with a zero in their lineup, but can't win them all, right? But you know what, Kyle? That gives you know us beginners hope that you know we can fuck up majorly on you know one of the first two fights and still go out there and you know get a good score. Absolutely, absolutely. But the difference is these were head-to-head games, so these are your cash games. If these players had that lineup in a GPP. They're not going to win that GPP. Probably need the six wins in there. But yeah, if you have head-to-heads out and you and you have one player bust in that first round, still possible for sure. Well, Kyle, we're both top fifteen in in Gamble Master and Tout Master. You know the race for the number one spot. The year's almost over. Kyle, thanks for a little bit of your time, man. Hey, right, man. Good luck in both of those. Thanks for having me on again. Glad to be part of the show. And uh, good luck this weekend, man. Yes, sir. We'll talk next week, man. Kyle Marley knows his shit, this guy. <laughs> this guy's real good, huh? He's sharp. All right, well, we got to talk about a couple of these preliminary fights because we got Quan Ho Kwok. He's minus 130. The comeback on Russell Doan is plus 110. What are you thinking, man? Man, I, I see a lot of money came in on Doan, you know, and, you know, I don't understand why. I mean, look, when he came into the UFC, I feel like this is mainly due to him, you know, subbing Leandro that one time. And, you know, let's be honest here. I thought he lost the Brimage, and he's lost his... And he, I mean, when you get rocked by Jared Sanders, I feel like your fighting career is coming to an end. He got beat on the feet in that fight. Look, we'll go back and rewatch that fight. In the third round, he got rocked, and then, you know, he got taken down and grinded. And then, you know, he gets, you know, smashed by Mursad, and, you know, I just feel it paid the Pedro fight, you know. I feel like he comes out hard, but, man, this dude, Quan Ho, is light on the feet early, man. I feel like, you know, he'll come out, light Doan up on the feet. It'll be competitive. Doan will crack him as well, but when Quan Ho lands that one big shot, you know, I feel like Doan will slowly look for the door, just like how I said Andre will. And, um, you know, uh, I just feel like uh, minus 130, I mean, I feel like people should consider that against a guy that, you know, I will say Doan has nothing to lose here. I mean, he has nothing to lose. He he already should be cut, you know, but I feel like they're giving him one more chance for taking that Mursad fight on short notice. And, um, you know, man, I just feel like Quan Ho might actually be pay- playable at minus 130 because the more money has came in on Doan since this uh, line open. Yeah, it's true, man. This is an interesting one for me to call. I'll tell you why. Because I feel like on the feet early, I mean, you remember that Pedro Munoz versus Russell Doan fight. and yeah, He came out guns blazing. Russell goes out there, and he was tagging Pedro hard, man. He was rocking Pedro. Pedro found a way to win with that guillotine, which he is known for. But, man, Russell was making a statement. Also, that Yuri Alcantara fight, his wrestling was very effective in that fight. Now, the common theme is he found a way to lose both those fights, and maybe he finds a way to lose this one as well. But the thing with Quan Ho, he comes out super athletic, super light on his feet, and he's throwing explosive stuff. You know, He's throwing flying knees, big leg kicks, and his takedown defense early is real good. His get-ups are on point. It's just once he starts to get tired, that's when people are able to grind him. So my question here is, is Russell Doan going to be able to grind him out kind of like he was able to have success with his takedowns against Yuri Alcantara? That would kind of be the game plan he needs here to win this fight against Quan Ho. But man, the way Quan Ho looked in that debut, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how good this kid Brett Johns is that beat him. But, you know, Brett Johns is a guy I've known about for a long time. And, you know, we were talking about these undefeated guys, how it's not good when people come to the UFC undefeated because they don't have enough experience. 
Brett Johns isn't on that list for me because he beat experienced guys on the regional scene. He was in those five-round wars before he got to the UFC. So he's already seasoned, you know what I'm saying? Russell Doan isn't that kind of guy. And Quan Ho, you know, he got that experience out of the way with Brett Johns. And Brett Johns, you know, I know odds makers are listening. Fine, I'll give you a little tip, odds makers. Hope you guys set that that line on Brett Johns high against Mitch Gagnon because that, that's max bet season as well. You know what I'm saying? I'm done giving them free tips. <laughs> Man, I've been going back and forth on this one because it's like, is Russell going to capitalize on a gassed out Quan Ho Kwok and grind him out? You know, use that UFC experience. His back's up against the wall. He's lost four in a row. Or is it simply a case where, look, Russell's just not that good and Quan Ho, he showed a lot of... A lot of promise in that debut, man. And he, you know, he could go out here and just smash Russell. So I'm not sure. I got to pick one, right? I'm going to go against the public, man. And, you know, that sounds like I'm picking Russell because he's the dog, but I'm not because the money came in on Russell. I'm going to go with Quan Ho Kwok to get the victory here and get his first ever UFC win. Uh, sucks for Russell Dunn, but he, he was a very tough guy. You know what I mean? He, he had some tough outs. He'll live to fight another day. <laughs> yes, he will. Now, next up, we got Li Jingliang. He's minus 420. The comeback on the newcomer, Frank Camacho, is plus 335. Now, this new guy, Frank Camacho, I mean, he comes out to bang. And you know what? He's got experience. You know, he went to the Ultimate Fighter. He lost to Neil Magny. He went to a decision with him. He's fought some dudes. And the thing that it kind of reminds me of, even though he's got a completely different style, it kind of reminds me of, like, the Brian Kelleher situation in the sense that, you know, Kelleher already had experience on the regional scene. You know, he's a guy that lost a decision to Jimmy Rivera. You know, he'd already fought a bunch of experienced guys, got those losses out of the way. That could be the case with Frank Camacho, but, man, he just had a war in May where, like, he got full-mounted. He was getting pounded on, but he found a way to win. He choked the guy out, so I got to give him a lot of credit for that because that's what this shit's all about. It's a fist fight in a steel cage on a Saturday night. Well, Friday night in this case, right? But... You're going to get cracked in the face. You're going to get rocked. These things are going to happen, but it's about the guys who find a way to win. So I got to give him respect for that. But look, Li Jingliang is a handful to make your UFC debut against. And I know you almost dropped the ball against Bobby Nash. I think Nash is no slouch. <laughs> I think Bobby Nash might just simply be a different animal, man. And, you know, I know Lee gets wild in there at times. I know in the Keitaro fight, he found a way to lose, but... I think this is one of those spots where, you know, I, I think Li Jingliang is the best Chinese fighter of all time. And I think he's going to go out there, represent China, and get that victory. Yeah, man. Uh, for one, Frank Camacho is a lightweight moving up to 170 for this fight, you know. Um, Frank Camacho, he's a vet. You know, he does some training at Alliance. Um, but, you know, man, I I understand why. I, I actually understand why people would parlay uh, Li Jingliang. You know, I wouldn't parlay it with anyone else on this card. You know, I would leave it open. I wouldn't risk it with any of the other favorites. But, you know, I would leave it open. But I think Leo is going to come out, handle his business. You know, Frank might put up a tough fight just because it's been a long time coming for him. You know, but it is good that he's already faced adversity, you know, on the Guam scene and, you know, took in his L's. And, you know, he's he is an experienced fighter. I've known about him for a long time. But um, Lee should handle business here. Well, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq. What is the fight to watch for UFC Singapore? I mean, I think it's the people's main event. Colby Covington versus Dong Yun Kim. We're going to see if Colby is one of these future, you know, top contenders. I mean, he's had a lot of hype about him since before he came into the UFC. And um, like you said, the only dudes to beat Kim are the elite guys. And uh, we're going to see if Colby adds his name to that list. And, um, you know, if he wins his fight, man, he's going to shake things up at Welterweight. I mean, you could throw him in there with a lot of people. So uh, that's my fight to watch. My fight to watch is Justin Scoggins versus Sasaki. I mean, I understand that it's a minus 525 against a plus, you know, 415. It's a mismatch on paper, but I think it has the potential to be one of the most exciting fights to watch on the card. Now, the reason I say that is because, like, like we were saying earlier in our breakdown, you know, Scoggins should go out there and school this guy, but Sasaki is one of these, you know, tough, scrappy, you know, kind of like a Tim Elliott kind of guy that'll go out there and do some funky stuff and. If Scoggins, you know, runs into a guillotine head first, that's going to be very exciting. But if Scoggins also goes out there and whoops his ass for three rounds or finishes him, that's going to be exciting as well. So that's my fight to watch, Shaq. Who is your fighter to watch for UFC Singapore? A guy you just mentioned, Justin Scoggins, man. Like, I want Justin Scoggins to succeed at 125 because I really feel like he could beat Demetrius Johnson on, on the given night. I feel like he's got all the potential in the world. I feel like... His game's well-rounded besides the submission defense. And I just want him to get his head right and, you know, get through this fight, move on, and, you know, 
you know, challenge the top flyweights like Ben 10, Sergio, Brandon Moreno. Like, I want him to be in that picture because I know he can beat these guys. My fighter watch is John Tuck. Look, he has all the potential, man. I mean, he trains at Kings MMA. He's a very athletic guy. He's known for hurting all of his opponents really badly in that first round. But he's he's been fighting tough, hungry, up-and-comers. And now he finally gets, you know, an old veteran with a name that he can go out there, get that signature win, and finally, people will be like, oh, yeah, remember that time that John Tuck smashed Takanori Gomi? You know, because now we talk about the Taiyung Bang fight, but that's only amongst hardcore fans. None of the casuals know who Taiyung Bang is. Everyone knows who Takanori Gomi is. So I think that after Tuck goes out there and gets this win, people will be like, man, you know, he, he brings something interesting to the table. So John Tuck is your fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it, man. Another card in the books. We did our breakdown. And are you going to be waking up at 4.30 a.m. to watch this card? Uh, you know, I'm not. I'll watch, you know, I'll wake up and watch a few live, like Kobe and Dung, you know, Tuck, Andre and Tybura, RDA, you know, just the main card fights for the most part. And Scoggins, Scoggins, I gotta get up for that. So, Shaq, let them know, uh, let them know where to follow you on, on social media, man. Yeah, man, follow me at MMA Genius 5 and, um, you know, just hit me up. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And hook up the five-star reviews. Look, just like your favorite fighters are in that top 15, we want to be on that top 15 on the iTunes chart. So the way for you to help us do that is just go out there and give us that five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher. We really appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.